We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, December the 2nd, 2021. Today's show, I break down last night's disappointing loss. The Gamecocks go on the road to Conway, South Carolina, and drop their non-conference game to the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers by a final score of 80-56. to Guys, I'll give my full thoughts on this one, break down everything that happened last night in Conway. Also, I'll talk my biggest takeaway from last night, hand out the Shooter Shoot Award, and talk what's next for Frank Martin's squad as they'll look to bounce back in a big way at Colonial Life Arena. Also, guys, we've got news and notes to get into and a great conversation, guys, another throwback interview with former Gamecocks quarterback Michael Skarnecki as we detail his illustrious career in Garnet and Black. Guys, got a ton to get into here on a Thursday. And, of course, as always, it's brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, for all your moving needs this holiday season, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website website upstatemoversgroup.com that's upstatemoversgroup.com be sure to check them out and tell them chris from the spurs up show sent you let's get it Tale as old as time, a song quite literally as old as rhyme. The Gamecocks losing ugly non-conference basketball games in embarrassing fashion. We've seen the movie before, and the ship still sinks. Folks, happy Thursday. Hope you're all doing well. By the way, I'm Chris Phillips, host of the Spurs of the Show, as always. Appreciate you all tuning in. We've got a packed show, and I apologize for starting your Thursday off on such a somber note. But when you are recording after what I just watched, what we all just endured, 
it is hard to look at things glass half full and in an optimistic light. Maybe I'll go back to Gamecock football Twitter and rewatch their hype video they posted on Wednesday night to get me going. But either way, we're here. We're kicking it here on a Thursday. And again, folks, for those of you who have braved today's podcast, I really do truly appreciate it. Because again, of course, I'm Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up show as always. Again, I hope this show finds you out. I'm going to where you are, what you're doing, whether you're on the commute or the office or the job, you've got the day off. Maybe you're in class, whatever it may be. Again, folks, Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, and very excited to chat with you here on this Thursday. Guys, first things first, before we really get rolling, just a couple of housekeeping items and things I want to let you guys know about. Uh, First thing, this weekend, very excited to announce. I know I haven't really been plugging this a ton of late, but excited to announce. We are officially, once again, yet a sponsor of Threat Affair, an event that will be showcasing the best in young and upcoming entrepreneurs and those specifically in the vintage apparel game. We are sponsoring that event. It will be held out at Noma Warehouse this Sunday. Noma Warehouse, all the details are on our social media, begins at noon, runs all day until 5 o'clock. Guys, again, I can tell you this. If you like vintage apparel and clothing, and yes, I'm talking Gamecocks also, this is a must-go-to event for you. Again, you can start on your Christmas shopping. You can get some fresh fits for yourself. But again, very excited and proud to yet again sponsor Threat Affair, our third time doing so. So again, guys, I wanted to let you know this Sunday, December the 5th, be sure to make your way to Normal Warehouse. going to be a great time. It's a great event. Again, you're also supporting young up-and-coming entrepreneurs as well. So again, make your way out to Noma Warehouse, the Threat Affair event. Going to be a really, really good time. That all gets going at noon this Sunday, December the 5th. Also, guys, just wanted to give you a content update. Tomorrow's show, you're thinking to yourself, Chris, what in the world are you going to talk about tomorrow? Well, tomorrow's show, we're going to look back at the Gamecocks 2021 football season as I give my full postseason report card. Might even hand out some awards. I might save that for next week, but at minimum, I'll be grading the 2021 football season and really beginning to look back on the season it was in Shane Beamer's first full year in Columbia, South Carolina. So again, a lot of exciting things happening today, tomorrow, this weekend. But of course, we have to start with the events that took place last night. And like I said, guys, off the jump, just quite literally a tale as old as time. Probably something that yours truly should have seen coming. And I will tell you this in pregame. I had a sick feeling in my stomach when it was announced Jermaine Kusnard would miss the game. And I thought to myself, why does this feel like the first domino to fall in a very negative night in my life as a Gamecock fan? And sure enough, from the jump, you could tell This is going to be a weird night. At minimum, this is going to be a weird night for South Carolina basketball. You went to a place, the HTC Center, that holds no more than 4,000 people. A crackerjack gym, guys. A, a, A middle school gymnasium. And you played a Coastal Carolina team that's RPI sits around 280, who came in this game at two and two, not a good basketball team, has really one player down low. And not only do you lose to them, not only do you lose, 
they dominate you. 80 to 56, a 24-point margin of defeat. You know, we could go through statistics, guys. I mean, of course, the statistics are ugly. Um, what you did as a basketball team, shooting the basketball, which, by the way, you know what? I, I, I want to highlight this because, of course, our guy Eric Stevenson, Mr. Shooter Shoot, in defeat, he actually led the Gamecocks with 12 points. So I thought that was sort of funny and ironic, if you will. But as a team, guys, the Gamecocks shot 28%. 20 of 70 shots. 28%. Went just 7 of 30 from three-point land. Just 23%. And only shot 11 free throws. On the flip side, Coastal Carolina shot 42%. Hey, only took 57 shots, but made four more than you did. Shot 42%, went 5 of 18 from three-point range, 27%. And Coastal Carolina shot 38 free throws. 38. That is insane. And made 27 of them, 71% from the charity stripe. Leading scorer for Coastal, of course, the Isam Mustafa kid we mentioned was leading them in both points and rebounds per game coming into this one. And sure enough, he did it again. 23 points, 13 rebounds in this ballgame. But really as a whole, guys, what I hate about this game last night, outside of the fact that you got thoroughly embarrassed by not a great Coastal Carolina team, and the fact that this is yet again another loss, another non-conference loss early in season that will undoubtedly kill you late in February when you're trying to make a push to get on the bubble and possibly be playing basketball in the big dance, which is the ultimate goal. No, you know what really kills me, guys, because I see it on social media. And, you know, I, I, I do this enough to where I, I, feel, I feel like I have a pretty good feel on the pulse of the fan base and the temperature of the fan base and the mood of the fan base and how everyone's feeling regarding our Gamecocks. And what is a damn shame is I truly do feel that Gamecock fans, and this includes yours truly, but we really want to cling to basketball. Like we really want to invest in basketball. We want to invest our time. We want to invest our resources. I mean, hell, we love the University of South Carolina. Of course we do. But this is a fan base that is so hungry and starving even for a quality basketball program. I mean, look at what Dawn Staley's done, packing out CLA for women's basketball. Gamecock fans love a winner, but the rap that Carolina fans don't care about basketball, I don't buy it. I don't believe it. Again, will it ever have the draw that football does? Absolutely not. We understand, guys. 
Football is king in the SEC. Football is king in the state of South Carolina, and it will probably be that way forever. And then, of course, we all know that baseball is South Carolina's golden gym, if you will, because of the success they've had over the past couple of decades winning national championships. But Gamecock fans love their basketball. I really believe that, guys. And what's just such a damn shame, what's such a damn shame is it's games like this that make it so tough for people to get invested, make it so tough for people to invest their resources, their time, their energy, their money. Because undoubtedly, the support would be there for a winner. And I'm not talking about a national champion. I'm not talking about a conference champion. But I am talking about a product that year after year after year didn't have these back-breaking, embarrassing losses in the non-conference. Guys, again, it's a tale as old as time. A song as old as rhyme. Anybody ever seen Ice Age? You know, Sid the Sloth? They do this. Every year. That's how I feel. They do this every year. Every single year. And I'm not sitting here calling for Frank Martin's head yet. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. We are seven games into the season. Seven games. I'm not going to fire up that train. I know many of you will, and many of you are tuned in to see if I will. I'm not doing that. That's not what I'm here doing today. What I am here doing is venting my frustration. Because again, I've told you guys many times, I've been very transparent that basketball is not my first love. Basketball is not my favorite Gamecocks sport to watch. But I've become very invested in Gamecocks basketball since I began pursuing the Spurs Up show, and especially since I moved here and watching this team to start the season. You know, we knew there were flaws. We knew where there were issues, and there still are, of course, the sloppiness. And I think you saw a lot of what you got away with in the first couple of games. You saw that come back to bite you. In that game last night, cold streaks, turnovers, just pure sloppiness and passing, transition defense, getting down the floor. Those things came back to bite you. You did. But I really felt like, man, this is a fun group to watch. It's an entertaining group. And we talked about it, guys. We talked about it yesterday, continuing to build momentum. Hey, you got some big non-conference games upcoming. Georgetown, FSU, Clemson. But if you don't take care of your business in games like this, those games mean nothing. Those games mean nothing. And I will say, too, tip the cap to Coastal for coming out fired up, inspired. They were the aggressor last night. They were the aggressor. They were. They came to play. They punched South Carolina in the mouth, and they kept punching. They kept punching. They kept punching. They kept fighting. They kept fighting. Give Coastal credit 
for the way they played. Are they a great team? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. But they played their asses off, and they whooped our ass. So give them credit where credit's due. But there's no way to spin it, folks. This is a pathetic, pitiful, embarrassing loss. And it is the latest in a long line of pathetic, pitiful, embarrassing losses in the last few seasons, especially since the Final Four run. And I just sit here, guys, here on this Thursday, just frustrated, just just upset, just embarrassed. Just frustrated. It's old. It's getting old. It's old. It's gotten old for fans. Fans' patience has run out, man. Men's sports across this entire athletics department have struggled for years. And again, nobody's asking Gamecocks basketball specifically to go win a national title. Nobody is. But we talked about it before the season, guys. And again, I'm not sitting here saying fire Frank Martin because it's only been seven games. And I really would like to watch this season and let this season play out. But we talked about before the season, what were the minimum expectations? What were they? Realistically, in year 10 of your, your head basketball coach, what were they? And I think most of us agreed, make the tournament. Well, if that's the goal and that is truly the minimum expectation, last night was a huge blow in your tournament hopes. And I know that sounds crazy to say seven games in, but guys, that's how college basketball works. When you lose a game like that, you're building your resume as you go along. And to lose a game like that, it it kills you. It kills you. Now, is this team dead? I don't think so. I still believe in the shooters on this team. I think what you also saw last night, Jermaine Kusnard, is a much bigger piece of this thing than maybe any of us gave him credit for because we looked lost without him on the floor. And I I got a lot of love for Jacoby Wright, man. Dude plays his tail off. He had a great game, by the way. I think he's got a very bright future. But when you lose a guy like Coos, a veteran guy, it looked very, very evident that that was a big loss for sure. But it's just so frustrating, just so frustrating to not only lose, but get your brains beat in by 24 points. And not not looking, you know, I hate to say not looking ready to play because I feel like that's such a cop-out from some people. Oh, we, we weren't excited to play. They wanted it more than we did. What does that even mean? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you think our guys didn't want to win? Really? Really? You think they went to Myrtle Beach saying, eh, if we win, it's whatever. No. No, that's that's foolish talk. But something was off. Something was off. 
And it's just become a movie we've seen too often and fans are sick and tired of it. And I don't blame you. And again, that that's what, that's what the most frustrating thing for me is, is I want so badly, you know, two nights ago or whenever I, I was watching, just caught a glimpse of Purdue's basketball game on their home floor. And again, I, I know it's comparing apples to oranges because Purdue is ranked number two in the country, but they've got one of the best home floors in college basketball. And you watch any college basketball game with one of the elites, one of the blue bloods, and it's sold out. Guys, I, there's something special about a college basketball environment like that, a packed out gymnasium, a packed out arena for a college basketball game. And I guess selfishly, I just wish that I could experience that. I wish we could experience that for a Gamecocks team. I really, really do. I really do. I wish it could get to that point. But nights like last night just kill all hope and optimism. And I've said it before, guys, you know, the feeling amongst not the diehards, because those of you tuned in, many of you are diehards, which is great. You'll be here through thick and thin. And this university needs you. These teams need you. Just like every other SEC school out there has their diehards. But I'm speaking on the everyday normal casual fan, if you will, that has other priorities in life and has, has a family and has hobbies and does this and does that and goes to work and and takes care of a house, or whatever, right? It's just unfortunate that we're like, we're not good enough for that person to care. And it's because, it's not because you lose to, say, a Georgetown, or you lose to a Florida State, or even you lose to a Clemson. It's because you lose to Coastal by 24. It's because you lose to Stetson. Because you lose to Boston, because you lose to Princeton, that's why those people do not care. And a lot of diehards don't care. The apathy. That's the most disappointing part, man. That's what sucks. That's what really sucks. And I really feel for Gamecock fans. Because in year 10, Call it what it is. Year 10, you deserve better, and it shouldn't be happening. We all deserve better. A 24-point loss to Coastal Carolina shouldn't happen. Shouldn't happen. On no planet should it happen. But it did. And now you find yourself 5-2 and two with two, I would say, one suspect loss and one terrible loss. And now I guess we'll see what Frank Martin can do if he can get this team to rebound, to regroup, and to fight back. Because there's still opportunity in the non-conference, but, man, you've made life so much tougher on yourself. And you just keep your fingers crossed and hope this is a game that this group can rebound from. Guys, let's move, let's move to my biggest takeaway from last night. And I've already mentioned it. Simply put, guys, I just wrote a tale as old as time. I, that's my biggest takeaway. It's it's just a tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme. Just very typical. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate we've come to expect it, but we have. And it's very, very typical. 
and I don't know. I don't know like how moving forward that changes. I don't know how you go into a season and say, okay, let's just, you know, I feel like because when you put it at the forefront of your brain, like, all right, let's make sure we don't lose a bad non-conference game. It's almost like you're speaking that into existence that you're going to lose a bad non-conference game. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's become so second nature for us to do it that we do it every year. But it's the tale as old as time. That's it. Just Carolina losing death taxes and Carolina losing a bad December non-conference basketball game to a lesser opponent in blowout, embarrassing fashion. It never fails. All right, guys, moving to my shooter shoot award on a more positive note again. I talked about this kid a little bit earlier. I had a great game last night and really loving what I'm seeing from his game thus far. That is the freshman, Jacoby Wright. Jacoby with 11 points, four for eight from the field, three for five in three-point range, four rebounds, two assists. Again, I love the way this kid plays the game. You know, I know right now there's some things he has to fix, a little bit of sloppiness here and there with the passing and turning the ball over, but overall, love his game, think he has a very bright future. And again, he was asked, it was a great task, asking, hey, you're going to start in place of Jermaine Kuznar? I thought he did a good job. So again, our Shooters Shoot Award goes to the freshman, Jacoby Right, And then finally, guys, what's next for Gamecocks basketball? Well, South Carolina will look to rebound this Sunday, December the 5th, against the Georgetown Hoyas, a 2 p.m. tip on SEC Network at Colonial Life Arena. Again, guys, trust me, I get it. I get it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, hey, show up, show out, be loud, let's pack CLA. I get it, man. I, I get it. Losing that game to Coastal, it, it takes so much of the wins out of the sails of what that game really could have been, and that's truly unfortunate. But um, who knows, man? It Wouldn't it be the Gamecock way to see South kind of bounce back and beat Georgetown, who, you know, isn't great this year. I don't think they're the Georgetown of old or anything, but Georgetown's still Georgetown. That, that's a name, right? That's a name, and that'd be a great win for you. So wouldn't it just be a Gamecock thing to do, to, to come back home and play your best basketball and find a way to beat Georgetown? So um, Gamecock's a little rebound, but a terrible loss last night, you know, I feel for Gamecock Nation. Um, I, I know I, I get it. I get it. Football's king. I know. I understand. But I, I think this one hurt last night. This one hurt last night. You know, we so desperately want to see basketball get back to the heights it was in 16 to 17 or even close, just making the tournament. And it's games like last night. It's losses like last night that damn near eliminate those hopes completely. So hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully it starts Sunday. You can turn this thing around, bounce back, go on a run. Got a long way to go. A lot of basketball left to play this season. Uh, all right, guys, let's get into news and notes, and then we'll get in our interview. And really the only news and notes that I have is the rumors regarding football continue to swirl. Uh, the first one came out yesterday, Josh Van, sounding like he will return next season. Again, nothing official there, but it is sounding like he will return for Gamecocks football, which would be a huge boost. What is going on the transfer portal with Oklahoma tight end Austin Stogner? Uh, Spencer Rattler, all these players from Oklahoma, Shane Beamer going out to Norman, Oklahoma. What's he doing out there? Guys, I can tell you this. Shane Beamer's going nowhere. End of story, period, point blank. Don't believe any of the silly uh, articles or whatever you see. He's going nowhere. But Austin Stogner might be coming and feels like he is going to be coming to Columbia South Carolina. We'll keep an eye on that. And then, of course, guys, rumors with the offensive coordinator stuff. Is Satterfield going to stay? Is Satterfield going to go? I'll tell you what. I give credit to everybody that's tuned into the Daily Crow because – the conversations on the Daily Crow regarding Marcus Satterfield have been as spirited as any combos we've had about anything all season long. So, again, thank you all for 
rocking and rolling and giving us your opinions. It has been absolutely incredible. But again, guys, obviously, we'll be watching all the things I mentioned and more also recruiting over the next couple of weeks because things are only going to heat up even more, I think. So whatever new developments they, there are, we will let you know. And also, guys, of course, I will remind you, this is a great time to join the Big Cock Club because there's a lot of stuff for our members in our Discord that uh, you know I'm not putting out there on social media and the rumblings and stuff like that. If you want to be in the know, patreon.com slash Club. You can go to our social media. The link is in the bio there in our link tree. Big Cock Club. If you want to join, get access to the Discord. You'll ha- have ac- access to all that information behind the scenes. And that's what's going on right now. Now, all right, guys. Hey, appreciate you all tuning in. Fantastic stuff on a Thursday. It's not over yet, guys. A great throwback conversation, throwback interview with our guy Michael Skarnecchia. This is coming all the way um, from August of 2019. A very old conversation, um, but a really great one. Again, it's been awesome to bring back some of these old conversations to life, and I'm excited for you guys to hear this one. As Michael really details the realities behind his career at South Carolina, the ups, the downs, and and what he went through as Gamecocks quarterback playing for Steve Spurrier, you know, getting his chance against Mizzou, of course, and and the rest of the must-champ era and all that good stuff. So, again, guys, a really great conversation. I know you're going to enjoy. And, again, thank you all so much for tuning in here on this Thursday. Folks, again, appreciate you all tuning in. Have a great rest of your day and enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks quarterback Michael Skarnecchia. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man who just finished up his Gamecock career, played for the Gamecocks from 2014 all the way to this past season, led the Gamecocks to a very memorable, one of the most memorable comebacks uh, in the South Carolina's 37-35 win over Missouri. He's gracious enough to give us this time and join the show. I want to welcome to the show Michael Skarnecchia. Michael, again, appreciate you having you on, man, and it's a pleasure to speak with you. Yes, sir, I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So let's start back from the beginning because I was taking a look. You're obviously from Fleming Island, Florida. Um, everyone that knows knows you're the last Spurrier quarterback, if you will, at South Carolina. But let's go back to kind of your recruitment. Um, growing up, who were you a fan of if you had a team college-wise? And um, were you a big Steve Spurrier fan? Is that something that eventually led you to pursuing to play at South Carolina? Growing up, well, I was originally born in Ohio, but most of my life was in Florida. So I grew up an Ohio State fan, surprisingly enough. Uh, and then that all transitioned and kind of changed out when I started getting recruited by colleges um, because, you know, I got to start being more open-minded. I wasn't going to go to Ohio State. And I started the recruiting process. It went well, you know, a bunch of schools looking at me. I didn't get many offers from a lot of schools because I started the process late. Um, but, you know, I was Miami, Arkansas, Arkansas State, UAB, and then – Surprisingly enough, there was one camp left in the summer, and it was South Carolina, and it was the end of July. And so my dad was like, hey, let's go do it. So I went up there, uh, went up, did the camp. It was a one-day camp. Spurrier came up to me after the camp, and he said he really liked me, liked what he saw, and he said he was going to be with, in touch with me throughout my uh, senior season. And so about halfway through my senior season at Fleming Island, he called me and offered me a scholarship himself. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, and, but- uh, you know, as – as a, well, I mean, going back to my bad, uh, for, I mean, me and him grew a connection because he was the one doing the main contact with me. So me and him got pretty close, and we still actually communicate to this day. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you what that relationship was like because I think for each South Carolina quarterback, you know, we've had the opportunity to talk to a couple guys, Stephen Garcia, Perry, or a couple of your former teammates, um, just about their relationship with Steve Spurrier. And we've all heard the stories and know that being a quarterback under him is – it's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, and I know that he was someone that hit – you know, uh, stayed in contact with you and hit you up after the Missouri game or even the week leading into that one this past season. But just talk about the impact that Steve Spurrier – uh, had on you, not just on the football field, but off the field as well? Uh, so on the field, the biggest thing I took away with Spurrier is the the way you can manipulate defenses with your eyes, your body movements, how you can do that kind of stuff in a game, uh, and also mental toughness because, as you said, he's not the easiest with his quarterback. So, you know, you can't go out there and and kind of be soft or take anything he says to heart and think he's trying to be mean to you. He's just trying to get you ready mentally for what you're going to go out there and prepare with because these fans are, I mean, you see what fans, fans are just as ruthless uh, with what they say to the players. So you have to go out there and, and have a mental toughness about yourself that nothing is going to affect how you play or how you think or the way you focus and off the field. Um, Spurrier was kind of like there for me for a dad. Like he was, you know, in a way I could go talk to him about stuff and he was actually pretty open about, uh, a lot of people think he was closed off and wouldn't really open up to people, but you know, he would, he would talk to me in a way that would help me out, whether it's, you know, adapting to the college lifestyle, the college football lifestyle, that kind of stuff. So I, in a way he, that's what he helped with. Absolutely. So 2014, your freshman season, you red shirt, um, 2015 obviously was, a very interesting year for South Carolina football, a tough year, if you will. Gamecocks go three and nine. Obviously, you're in the middle of a, a quarterback battle with you, Perry Yorth. Um, you know, Lorenzo Nunez was still there as well. And obviously, again, like I said, that was a tough season. Uh, Steve Spurrier obviously resigning, I think, about two-thirds of the way through the year. Just talk about that 2015 season, because I'm sure, you know, coming up in high school, you had seen the success South Carolina had from – 2010, 2013, those dominating stretches. And obviously the program, you know, went astray a little bit. Just talk about that 2015 season and what it was like um, going through that. Uh, it obviously wasn't easy because we went three and nine. It was a tough season. Um, you know, it, it just makes playing football difficult. But the I think the biggest thing, and this is one thing that Coach Muschamp has changed. You know, Spurrier was a great coach. And he did a lot of amazing things with this program. But nearing the end of his career here, uh, our team, it didn't feel as much as a family as it does now. Now, don't take that away as I'm saying we weren't a family because a lot of us got along. But I think there's a lot more of a family unit with Muschamp. And, you know, going through that season, it was difficult because it didn't seem like sometimes everybody had each other's backs. But that the culture is changing with that. And, you know, it was tough going through that season, but you learned a lot from it. You learned what you don't want to happen. You learn how to prep, uh, prepare better. And, you know, you learn how to be more disciplined with everything about every aspect of your life. Um, so, you know, it in a way, it taught a lot of lessons for us to start trending towards being great and winning more games and trying to get to that championship um, status. Absolutely. So you talked about obviously having each other's back and being a family. I know one guy that you're really close with, and I'm pretty sure still close with, is Perry Orth. 
Um, again, you, yeah. uh, you know, you saw it. I think he has a great story. Obviously, Perry, you know, we all hear he was once bagging groceries at Publix and he's the Gamecock starting quarterback. But despite the record, um, again, I thought it was a great story what Perry did to be, to be able to become the starting quarterback in 2015 and battle adversity. Um, talk about what that meant to you to see someone who was such a close friend, you know, kind of break through and have success at, you know, the highest level in the SEC. I mean, I thought it was awesome, especially in, early in my career. I mean, pretty much through my whole career, obviously I didn't get the playing time that I thought I deserved, but, you know, that didn't take away from me being a teammate. But watching Perry, because you don't see many walk-on kids coming on a program, especially a quarterback in an SEC school, coming in and, and earning a starting position. And, you know, especially with the type of adversity we were facing all season when he was here, you know, he held his head high. He performed. He he tried performing at the best of his ability. He, you know, he approached every week like, like it was a championship week. So, you know, his mentality and his mental toughness and everything about him really motivated me because at the end of the day, a lot of things didn't go right in the way of how I wanted South Carolina to go for playing time. But because of watching him and how he prepared and, and the mindset he took to approach how he's going to be a quarterback of South Carolina, because coming on as a walk-on, you don't immediately think you're going to be a starter. So you have to have that, that mindset and that focus to, and the discipline to come in and just prepare every day like you're going to be and hopefully get your shot. So, you know, he taught me that kind of stuff was the, the focus and the discipline to come in and, and prepare and don't let anything really affect your mindset on, and your goals. Right. So going to 2016, um, you know, you're going to the transition from Coach Steve Spurrier to Will Muschamp. You already touched on it a little bit, but I think it's really interesting, Michael, because I've, you know, you've probably seen we've had a couple of older guests who went through the, who have been through coaching transitions, you know, from Lou Holtz to Steve Spurrier, but you were part of the one, again, going from Spurrier to Muschamp. Just talk about the transition, um, you know, some of the pros, some of the cons, and just how the team dealt with that going to a new head coach. Um, going through the head coach, obviously the first year it's different. It's a new transition. You got to start adapting to the culture of the coach who's coming in, wants to bring in. And, you know, the, the big thing is, is coach Muschamp always talks about effort, toughness, and discipline. And I think those are three qualities he's really instilled into the program. And our players are starting to more and more buy in every year. And he's recruiting players who are going to buy into those standards. And so, I think those are three things that have changed. You know, our players always gave effort under the spur area. Um, but I would probably say there's, there's more discipline and there's more accountability within the program. And I think those are big changes that were needed to want to get a championship status or championship level. And cons, I mean, I don't really think there is a con because especially in this world, um, you know, the only con could have been we we wouldn't get Coach Muschamp. We could have got a coach who brought in a different culture, and it wouldn't have adapted well. But, you know, I don't think there's any cons. I think Coach uh, Coach Muschamp came in. We brought the right coach for this culture, and he, he's doing what he can to change that and bring us to that level. And, you know, everyone thinks it's supposed to be done in three years. But, I mean, I, I see how this program's changing, and I could – I could – uh I feel really good about us being at that level in the next couple of years. Absolutely. So <clears throat> that 2016 season, 
Um, obviously, Coach Muschamp's first year. You missed the entire season, had to have surgery on your labrum, uh, on your non-throwing shoulder, your left shoulder. Talk about just how that happened, because I know it was a, during a home workout in, uh, in May, I believe, and I guess the off season. But just talk about how that happened and what it was like to battle through adversity. Because, you know, I, I don't know, Michael, if you know, but I, I actually played college baseball, and I've been around a lot of guys that have stuff, suffered torn labrums, and I know that injury is – it's nothing to mess with. I mean, it's probably a 12 to 16 month type of rehabilitation. Um, just talk about the yeah. battling through adversity for you and just what that was like. Um, so my bad, I'm outside and there's two cats fighting right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, so the adverse or the injury, you know, it stemmed from one day at practice. Um, I don't know. I think we were live and I got tackled and I fell with my arm up. And my shoulder popped. All right, that didn't feel real good. My shoulder kind of hurt. And then over time, just falling more or, or like what really happened was when it when it gets outside of the frame of the body, mm. it would start subplexing where it would like pop out and pop back in and it would just get worse and worse. And so I, I, it got to the point where I pretty much couldn't anything, like if the ball got snapped to me outside of the frame of my body, my shoulder would sublex and would pop out and pop back in. And so I was like, this is too much pain. I can't. So I went and got surgery and, you know, that kind of sucked because that year, um, you know, everything works out for a reason. I think the Lord has a plan, but that year is uh, when Perry and Brandon got benched halfway through the season and Jake went in, you know, I was supposed to be the next guy in line, but uh, Jake got the opportunity and Jake's done everything he could to become a Gamecock great at quarterback. And, and you see what he's done and the success he's had. So taking nothing away from him, but you know, it's like you look at that, looking back on it, like man, if I would have never got hurt, that would have been me potentially out there, or me now potentially out there playing. But you know, through that injury, honestly, that injury brought me a lot of knowledge because it changed the whole, it changed everything about my mindset towards football, towards playing time. Uh, you know, I realized that at the end of the day, we all have a role to play. And maybe that role is for me to come every day to the stadium and have a positive mindset and a positive attitude. And maybe that will change just one person's attitude. And I wanted to be the best teammate and make everyone around me better, whether that was doing practice squad or the backup QB for the defense, you know, whatever it was, or starter. You know, if I was the starter, I wanted to be the best teammate I could be. And it changed my mindset because football, you know, I realized this from the injury is a lot of people find their identity in football. And, you know, for the long time I did. And, you know, that changed through the injury because I was like, man, if, if I rely solely on football and my happiness is through football, then it's going to fail me. So I think I learned happiness through other things, through the relationships I've created with my teammates and through, you know, the relationships I've made in the community and through just bringing a, um, a positive, energetic vibe to the stadium. And, you know, my teammates have noticed that and they've told me, you know, you bring an energy that's that's sometimes much needed for me. And, you know, that stuff, those comments mean more to me than anything. And that through the injury is how I learned all this. So, no, I didn't get the playing time I wanted, but the injury bought me new, a new frame of mind that I probably would have never gotten if I didn't get injured. Right, and, and that's a great perspective to have, Michael. And I, I can tell you as well that I think Gamecock fans for sure see that as well, the energy you bring, the positive energy, uh, without a doubt. So like you said, that's something I definitely wanted to get to where, <clears throat> you know, like you said, your injury in 2016 maybe puts you kind of 
in a bad spot as far as like you're saying, that would have been you going in there. Um, obviously, 2017, you saw limited snaps. And then this season, obviously, we're going to get to the Missouri game, just kind of what that meant. But uh, you know, it was really interesting because you know Jake Bentley has definitely been great for this South Carolina football program. He's obviously done well. He's about to break a couple of records probably in this, this upcoming yeah. season. But just talk about because it's interesting, you know, when – Anytime you're a quarterback, I know being a quarterback, you get too much of the credit and too much of the blame. I mean, it just kind of it comes with the position. It's very highly it scrutinized. Yeah, it's very highly scrutinized. People, you know, have knee-jerk reactions to things. But there was definitely – there were definitely times, I would say, in both 2017 and 18 where people were lobbying for, you know, someone else to get a chance under center. You know, I know definitely in 2018 for you to get a chance under center – what was your take on the entire quarterback competition? I mean, did you ever feel like um, – because I, I know, like, for example, your friend Perry Orth, I remember listening to him on the radio basically saying he didn't feel like you were necessarily – or he didn't feel like you had always necessarily gotten a fair shot at South Carolina to be the starting quarterback. Uh, what do you yeah. see to that? Is there is – there, do you feel the same way? I mean, what's your take on the entire situation? Uh, you know, I can never speak on – what goes on behind closed doors, whether I got a fair shot or not. I, you know, I believe I did. Um, I believe that, you know, I don't think it was an open QB competition going into the 2017 or 18 season. I think Jake, yeah, there's moments, but if you go back and watch any of the other quarterbacks, there's a lot of moments, especially with the competition we play that maybe they'll have a bad game, but you're not going to have a perfect game every single game. Like a lot of fans expect. And, you know, I didn't think there was an open QB competition. I was fighting like I was going to be the starter. Um, but I knew that number two role was, was going to be mine um, because Jake performed well. You know, if you perform well, you're going to continue to start. And so maybe some people wanted to change, but at the end of the day, Jake was performing well. So you can't take anything away from him. You can't take that starting job away from him from one bad performance. So I think I got a fair shot. Um, you know, I do think there are moments that I probably could have got a little more play time. But that's just personal. That's nothing to do with the coaches. I mean, that's just what I believe. But, you know, I think Jake earned his role, and he's proven his role as the starting quarterback. Uh, and so I always thought I got a fair shot, but I also understood what the situation was. Absolutely. So talk about I'm, – I'm curious to hear about your relationship with Jake Bentley. Obviously, you've known the guy now for – uh, a couple of years, you know, his red shirt gets burned in 2016 and really turns the season around. And, you know, obviously the rest is history. We all know. But uh, just talk about what your relationship is like with uh, with Jake Bentley when you were playing, obviously, and, and currently. Yeah. No, Jake and I are real close. Like, we still even talk now, even though it's only a couple of weeks out of uh, the season. <clears throat> but Jake and I still talk. We were real close. Heck, we chose to live together – not live together, to room together um, – at the hotel whenever the team traveled or on a home games, right. we traveled to the team hotel. So, you know, we had a real close relationship. Um, you know, we, we would talk about football a lot, but majority of the time it was just us joking around. So we had a really close relationship and there was no hostility. There was none of that. And, you know, he's a friend to this day and I hope he continues to be a friend. And I think he thinks the same way. Absolutely. So let's get into the 2018 season. Um, you know, an interesting year for South Carolina football, for sure. Um, we'll start at the beginning. You know, you get some playing time against Coastal Carolina. I had a beautiful touchdown pass in that one. Um, the Georgia game was very hyped the entire offseason. 
And, you know, obviously Georgia kind of showed why they were the number two team or whatever they were ranked at that point in the country, top five team in the country, um, pulled away in the second half. I think you guys put up a really good fight, just were a little undermanned on the defensive side, at least in the second half. But talk about the impact of that game, because I know some, and I think I, I think I can speak for some when I say that. I feel like there was so much emphasis put into that game in the offseason. There was so much talk that when South Carolina lost that game, it almost felt like almost a deflating feeling, if you will, or there'd be almost like a hangover effect for the next couple of weeks. But just talk about the that game in general for you guys, you know, what that was like, and did, do you think it had any long-term or lasting impact on the season? No, I don't think there was long-term. Now, I can't speak for everybody, but – Majority of the guys, I believe that it didn't have a long-term effect. It hurt definitely because a lot of us, you know, everyone sees it. Everyone sees Georgia's winning the East every year, or at least these past couple of seasons. So, you know, beating them is huge. You know, it gives you a new confidence thinking you're going to win the East. But uh, our guys, and Muschamp's done a really good job with this, is, is um, creating a mindset where, you know, every week is a season. So we lost that game. It hurt. but at the end of the day, the SEC East, especially with the talent for every team in the East is getting better, uh, it's up in the air. So, um, you know, we knew that if we can win out or if we just lose one more SEC game, whatever, we still have an opportunity. So it deflated us for a little bit, like, you know, right after the game. But right the very next week, we were ready to get back at it and go in and win out, you know, with our mindset. We were ready to go out and win out in the East and uh, with the rest of the games and, and give ourselves an opportunity to be the champions. Yeah, and I definitely – I love the mindset as well, for sure. Every week is a season kind of keeps thing in, things in perspective for you guys. Um, Kentucky, t- talk about, Michael, just in your opinion, what has led to the current five-game losing streak to Kentucky? Because I think a lot of people would argue that, you know, maybe all of the wins where Kentucky's beaten South Carolina, they weren't necessarily more talented or even a better football team, but – the games have just panned out the way they have. And, again, Kentucky currently on the run. In your opinion, what's been the biggest thorn in you guys' side as far as finding a way to beat those guys? Uh, I think it just comes down to simple execution. You know, 2017, I believe it was, we had almost 300 yards passing, I think, on them. And this year we had a bunch of passing yards against them. And there were several opportunities with either dropped balls or – balls that were just slightly underthrown, whatever it may be, you know, it was just the little things that just didn't go right. You know, red zone offense in 2017 against Kentucky when we lost at home, uh, you know, we, I think we had five trips down there and only a couple points. You know, if we change that around, the game's completely different. It's not like Kentucky's putting up crazy offensive statistics or numbers on us. They're 24 points. Uh, it's not a crazy number that's hard to catch up with. It's not like Ole Miss where you have to score every drive to keep up. Um, it's just the little things. You know, we were in the red zone, and we turned the ball over, um, I think, once, maybe twice. Um, and then third down conversions. You know, everyone everyone doesn't see the little things that could change a game. Maybe it's a third and five, and a, and a receiver runs the wrong route. I'm not saying this for a fact. I'm just saying if this is the case. Right. It's just like the little the little things in the game that – change the course you know because you know everyone fans love the big shots but they also don't recognize the third and three that got converted that led that big shot and so there were opportunities in that game we just we didn't give ourselves those opportunities because we weren't either converting on third down we weren't executing in the red zone 
we missed a block on a guy that would have broke for a huge run, whatever it may be. It was just the little things because, you know, we had the shots, we had the opportunities. We just, I guess we didn't execute at the highest level. Like we know we can, and we've shown this season that we can execute at that level. Um, but it's just when the little thing, when one person does something wrong, you know, it can affect the whole play. And so once we get those little things fixed, you know, I, I see us, we're beating Florida. We're not losing by four at the last minute. We're beating Kentucky. We're not, yeah, we're beating Kentucky. We're beating A&M. We're not losing by, what was it, a point, two point, whatever it may be, a field goal. You know, it's like the margins are so small for our losses that it's the little things that, people kind of it goes unnoticed and it's things that we can easily change but you know maybe we didn't execute them during the game right so the following week obviously Jake Bentley uh, suffers an injury in the Kentucky game now we all found out or I guess it was announced on Friday that you were getting the start against Missouri uh, when did you know that you were starting was it sooner or did it really go that late into the week where it was kind of a last minute decision no, I went it out late. I figured I was going to be the starter because of, I was just getting all the first team reps. Mm. Um, and he wasn't getting any. He wasn't even practicing. Uh, you know, he wasn't practicing later in the week. I think he tried for the first couple of days and it just wasn't feeling right. So, you know, in my mind, I was like, all right, I'm about to be the starter um, just because of rep, you know, who got the reps. And so, by, you know, Muschamp announced it to me as well Friday. Mm. As, as, as well as you guys, so we all found okay. it at the same time. <laughs> right, right. I just wasn't sure if that was uh, something where you knew like Sunday, but it was kept in-house. Um, but anyway, so that week leading up to the game, I know was very interesting. I know you had a lot of people reaching out to you, especially, again, when you were announced as the starter. Um, and I know, again, you're kind of looking at, you know, maybe this is the shot that you didn't get in 2016 where it's like, I get to start. I mean, this is a big game for South Carolina. You take a look at look back at that game. You guys were two and two, one and two in conference, obviously coming off a tough game against Kentucky. And I mean, this was, in my opinion, was kind of like a swing game. Like which way is the season going to go? Are we going to turn it around and, you know, trend upwards? Or are we going to fall to lose this game and, you know, continue down that path? But talk about what that week was like for you getting ready for the Missouri game and everyone reaching out to you. Uh, reaching out was cool. You know, it's a bunch of people that I've already spoken to, but you know, they were just giving me their advice and telling me good luck and everything. So that was cool. Um, but you know, I didn't have many nerves, honestly, going into that game. I don't know. I just felt really calm with all my preparation through that week. I felt calm going into the game. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people probably expect me to be real nervous and, and, you know, the anticipation for the game is just high. Um, but honestly, I kind of just had, I think, you know, my anxiety level is high as well. But honestly, I was pretty calm through the whole week. I prepared like I always do, just in case, you know, I may get that starter. I may get in the game. Um, but this week I knew I was. And so, and I mean, maybe I spent 30 more minutes studying film, but I've always been really diligent with how I study film and my preparation, knowing even though I'm the backup throughout all the seasons, I always prepare like I'm going to be the starter and nothing changed with this week. Right, and your stat line, 20 for 35, 249 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. It definitely sounds like to me that it's, you know, a lot of people think you came off the bench and had some hero performance. It sounds like more like to me you're a guy, again, that just put in the work, kind of bided your time and knew that if you, you know, got the opportunity you were going to excel. Obviously this game, though, came down to a Parker White field goal. You guys are down, I think, what was it, 
uh, one with, I think, about a minute left. You lead the final drive, hit Kyle Markway on a big-time play over the middle to get you guys in field goal range. Just talk about, you know, because, again, like you're saying, there were no nerves, but I can imagine that moment there are a lot of things going through your head. What was that like leading the guys down the field for that final drive and, you know, the eventually the game-winning field goal? So, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of QBs would go and pump everyone up and get ready for the final drive. I kind of, you know, I told everyone, let's go do this. But, like, before I kind of stood over in the corner by myself and just, you know, sat there, took a breath, and locked myself in because I knew what had to be done. And so, uh, you know, I just, for like about 10, 15 seconds, I just stood by myself and just, like, focused in on getting ready on what I had to do. And, you know, we prepare a one-minute draw at times, so it was nothing new. But the scenario is a little different because it matters more. Um, but I just kind of – I told the guys, hey, man, we're going to go do this. And I took about 15 seconds, took a breath, and, and locked myself in and prepared myself for what I knew had to be done. Have you, have you ever played in a crazier game? Because, I mean, I know watching it again, I mean, it's – you know, you're, you're forecasted for a beautiful sunny day. It, it absolutely downpours on you. All the big plays, momentum swings, lead changes. I mean, have you ever played in a football game crazier than that one? No. You know, you think playing in Florida, you got a lot of rain games. But, honestly, it only rained before the games in Florida, never during them. So, never really played in a rain game. And we've always been lucky enough to barely have rain games in South Carolina when we have home games. Um, so, no, that was probably the craziest game. The craziest part to me, though, was, oh, heck, we had what? after the rain delays and everything, we had about 10,000 fans maybe. And it was, I mean, it was as loud as there was probably, it was as loud as if there was 80,000. I swear. <laughs> Me and some of the guys are talking about it. They were like, man, that game was as loud as if it was like a, a packed home game. I was like, I know. It was crazy. Yeah, I, I remember hearing about that. I was un, unfortunately unable to make that one, of course. That's just kind of how it always, work, always works <laughs> out when there's a legendary game like that. But no, I, I definitely heard that, that the – the crowd noise levels were almost like shocking because of, like you said, there were only about 10,000 people in the stadium. Um, after that yeah, game. Yeah, it didn't you, make sense. Yeah, no, for sure. But after that game, obviously you get the huge win. I know everybody's congratulating you. You know, you, you got your opportunity and you made the most of it. Um, what was, I guess, what was that like for you? Because I feel like that's almost like the stamp on your career. Like you can look back and say, you know what, things didn't maybe go exactly how I wanted. I mean, most of the time when you have plans, they just don't work out. You know, that's life. But things didn't maybe yeah. go exactly how you wanted. You know, you didn't maybe get as much playing time as you wanted. But I, I really do think that your performance in that, that Missouri game will be forever remembered by South Carolina fans. When you, now that you've probably had a little bit of a chance to reflect on it, you know, what does it mean to you uh, to know you have a performance like that you can look back on? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a moment of relief. Um, and it was kind of emotional after the game, too, because – you know, you prepare all this time, and in my mind, you know, any athlete should be like this. You know you're good enough, and I knew I was good enough to play, especially at a lot of programs, but, you know, South Carolina was the one where I found home, and, you know, it was just a moment of relief because I knew I had the ability. I knew, you know, we could do it as a team, and going out there and getting that opportunity to show everyone you know, I wasn't trying to prove anyone wrong or prove anybody right, but it was just a moment for me to be like, you know what, I do have it. And another thing that probably goes unnoticed, but, you know, it plays a big role is you play the game of football, you play the game of whatever your sport is, 
And if you're not the one playing in the actual games, but you're practicing a lot, it's different. So, you know, I love the game of football. I've always loved it. But playing in an actual game for the first time since, like, high school as, like, a starter, it, it I don't know, it's like a different feeling that you can't really explain. And it just brings a completely different type of love with the game uh, and excitement. You know, not taking away, I love the game, even as a backup. And I've always loved the game. It's been it's been everything to me. But it, playing in a game as a starter, it, it's a different feeling that, only someone, and you were a player, you know how starting feels. It's a different feeling than practice because you get your opportunity to go do it and the excitement's different. And I don't, I don't know how to explain it in a better way, but if you play a sport and you're the starter, it's just, it's a different feeling. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree a hundred percent. I think you make some great points in regards to that. Um, you bring up a good point, Michael, because like you said, you could have played for a lot of other programs and we obviously saw your ability in the era where transferring is very, very popular, I mean, guys are doing that left and right. You see it. Um, did that yeah. ever cross your mind to, hey, maybe I'll transfer and, you know, give it a try somewhere else? You know, realistically, it did. It, you know, my – what was this? Injury before – well, I don't remember when it exactly was. But it crossed my mind. I was like, man, should I transfer? You know, is is it worth it sticking around and hoping for an opportunity? But – you know, I, the more I realized, it was like, you know, it's not always green or on the other side. You're not guaranteed to start somewhere. Um, and to me, and I'll stay, I'll say this the rest of my life, I think relationships are more important than anything. And, excuse me, and I, I, I created a lot of relationships here with, you know, whether it's politicians, attorneys, doctors, my teammates, my coaches, um, staff members, um, faculty members like teachers and or professors and stuff you know the relationships I communicate with professors to this day old coaches all these people and and those relationships mean more to me than than playing time um not because of connections but because of people who genuinely care for you and and you know you're they look out for your best interest and and Columbia has that type of people where you know they care about their players deeper than just football and it's something I didn't want to just leave. Right. No, absolutely. So going into the next week, because obviously with your performance, Jake Bentley's health up in the air. I mean, it was a very interesting week. Um, I know probably for yeah. you guys as well. You go into Texas, again, you guys lose that game 26-23 in a really hard-fought game and get off to a slow start offensively. I'll ask you first, um, did you feel like you should have gotten the start in the Texas A&M game after the Missouri game? Or was it a situation where they made it clear that, hey, if Jake Milley is healthy, no matter what, he's our quarterback? Yeah. Well, Muschamp told us he doesn't believe someone should lose their starting job to injury. And I get that. Um, do I feel I should have started? Yeah, of course. You're an athlete. Anybody should think that. You know, you go out and perform well. And, you know, I thought I should have got a chance. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Mush Champ has his policy, and I respect that. And, you know, the Lord has a different path for me, and I don't know what that path is, as tough as it is. But, you know, I got to I gotta endure through it. So I know that I, des- I thought I deserved the shot, but that wasn't the case. And so, I, you know, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to be the best teammate I can be. So that was my mindset. Where would you say your humility comes from? Because obviously, again, someone in your situation, like I said, there are not many guys that will sit – 
and, you know, embrace the community, even, even if they love the community, they're, they're going to be out. They want to go play. I mean, again, we're seeing it with Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, a lot of other guys that are using that transfer. But, you know, where does your humility come from? I mean, is it something that was instilled with you as a child, maybe the way you were raised? Or where would you say that comes from? Uh, you know, I'd say partially the way I was raised. But I would also – I would say it's with my faith. Um, you know, I consider myself uh, a strong Christian. Um, you know, I, I, I'm into the Bible. I'm into praying. I'm into reaching out and helping the community. I'm into that kind of stuff. So, you know, I serve Jesus. And through that, uh, you know, I find my joy because I have a, a focus different than something that's earthly. So for me, my focus is on Jesus, where a lot of people's focus, like, I'm not saying Justin Fields, he might be a strong Christian too, but his sole focus is with football. And, you know, I, I respect his decision. You know, he wants to go play somewhere else. But, you know, when, you, when you're living for football, you'll be moving around a bunch. You see a lot of these quarterbacks who are number one recruits or whoever they may be, and they're moving around because either they don't fit in the community, they, they don't see play time. And, you know, if football is the most important thing, it's, it's nothing else that's important to them. And, and so playing time is everything. But to me, you know, I realize that playing time is not everything. You can get a shot in the NFL. You may not get drafted high, but you can still get a shot in the NFL or you can wait your turn and work hard and prepare for those years and then get ready to start. Um, but, you know, I think it's really just what you find your identity in. You know, there's nothing against those guys transferring. But, I mean, transferring after one year is, to me, kind of ridiculous because you're not really – you're not sticking it out. You're going to another program hoping you're going to be the starter. There's no guarantee. And so, I mean, if, why don't you just stay where you're at, work hard, and then see where that goes. But, you know, everyone nowadays is so quick to transfer, so quick to leave. There's commitment nowadays, especially in this generation, is tough. I mean, I seen a statistic the other day about, heck, even just jobs alone. I think, like, uh, in the first two or three years, most people in, um, in their 20s just out of college will move jobs three times. Mm. So I think nowadays it's just something with commitment and not really want to persevere or not wanting to persevere through the struggle. They want everything to be easy. And so they think transferring or going to another job or transferring schools to go play football is the easier route when sometimes it's not always sticking it out. Maybe not be the easier route, but, you know, it, it'll teach you a lot of lessons and you don't know what's, what the Lord has planned for you. You could be the starter. Someone could get hurt. You never know. And that's the thing that, I don't know. Commitment kind of bothers me with nowadays is people aren't committed to stuff. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you, you think about it because the school invests so much in the kid. I mean, like I said, it's within the rules. They have every right, but I agree. You're kind of not, yeah. you're not, you're putting them in a bad position. You're not really seeing it out and giving your, giving it a chance, if that makes sense. I mean, if you committed to the yeah. school, I, you know. Yeah. No, and I kind of rambled on right there. My bad. No, no, you're fine. No, you're fine. I love it. So um, I definitely want to get your opinion on this because so someone that as someone that was on the team this season, again, we talked about the, the quarterback position, especially in the SEC, especially the school like South Carolina is extremely scrutinized for every little thing. Jake Bentley comes back in, against Texas A&M, and I feel like you probably know where this is going. Uh, throws an early pick in the red zone. You hear the chorus of boos at Williams-Brice Stadium. What was just your overall take on that? Because, you know, I know that it was – it had to be a little bit disappointing as a player to hear that. 
But I thought Jake Bentley handled it beautifully after the game, just saying, hey, they just want to win. I mean, it's, you know, they just want to win too. They're frustrated. We're frustrated. We get it. But just talk about that whole situation because, I, you know, it obviously wasn't the best look, but I, I can't imagine how it had to be from the player side of things. No. Um, you know, fans are emotional just as the players are emotional. Um, I don't. I don't respect it. I don't like how fans do that, but it's not only our fans. It's fans across the nation on every sport. They do that. So, I mean, it's a thing. They, they have a high level of expectation for their teams. Uh, you know, Jake and I, obviously I, I was talking to him. Maybe that's not an obvious thing, but I was talking to him throughout the game because even though I thought I should have been in, it doesn't change how I'm going to, you know, be a good teammate. So I was telling him, I was like, man, just ignore it because, you know, these aren't the people putting, putting in the hours and putting in the work and, and the studying efforts to get ready for these games. So go out there and do what you know how to do. Um, and, you know, I, you know, maybe he listened to me, maybe he didn't listen to me, but he went out in the second half and performed a lot better. And, you know, I think that comes down to mental toughness again, is just kind of ignoring what's going on with the outside factors of uh, or external factors with fans or weather or whatever it may be. And, and Muschamp and Coach Dillman and the weight staff, weightlifting staff, they do a good job at, of teaching our players to to not let that stuff affect our minds and, and the way we perform. But I don't respect it. I don't like how fans do that, but it's not going to change. Right. No, absolutely. I, I agree. I, I don't like the look, but I do agree that I think our South Carolina fans were a little bit demonized where, again, it's just – it's all across sports. I mean, every, like you said, every single fan base at some point um, has had that happen. But I, I want to ask you because yeah. Jake Bentley is known. He's a very, very fiery guy. Um, wears his emotions on his sleeve, I would say. Did you guys give him any crap at all for the second half of the Texas A&M game when he basically destroyed the chair on the sideline when he lost his mind, basically? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, the more, I'm more of the, uh, the ruthless guy in the QB room. You know, I'm the one that would get on everybody, uh, make fun of them, whatever it may be. You know, that right. people might hate that the wrong way, but it was all in fun. Uh, but heck, I gave Jake a bunch of crap, especially that because he definitely wore his emotions on his sleeve. But I would always mess with him about that. People would send memes like in the QB group oh, yeah. text and just mess with him about that. Um, but Jake and I actually we used to argue a lot, not in a bad way, but me and him are like so stuck in our ways. We at the time argued about uh, oh, what was it? Oh, the uh, where we sat at on the QB dinner uh, table. You know, we argued about – he thought I was in his seat, and I told him I was in my seat, and he needs to move. And we had a 10-minute argument, and he ended up moving tables. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that was that was pretty fun. But, no, we – me and him get along really well, but we – I definitely mess with him a lot, especially about his emotions because I know how to get under his uh, – <laughs> get under his skin. <laughs> Do you think going in the second half of the season that was something that he improved on? Because I'm not sure if people really noticed it, but I heard him bring it up more than once talking about, you know, I learned to really handle my emotions, to be more even keel. That was something he really talked about. Do you feel like that was something, a point of emphasis that someone brought up to him that, hey, like work on being even keel, it just, you know, helps you play the game of football at the quarterback position? Or do you think that's something he kind of took upon himself? Or, or am I just looking too far into it? I, I bet someone said something to him. I mean, I've talked to him about his emotions, but I never like told him to change it. Um you know, maybe his dad, Coach Moschamp, Coach Warner, someone, someone might have said something. But he realized, I think, that when you, you know, when you play on your emotions, it's a good thing when everything is going well. But when things aren't going well, you know, a lot of times you'll see it on your shoulders and your teammates will see that. And 
stuff just won't start going right the way you want it because people see how you're reacting and what your, you know, what your mood's like. So I think he's gotten better with controlling that uh, and not showing the negative side. He still shows the positive side, the fiery side, which is good, you know. But I think he's got really bad or better at um, or a lot better at controlling his negative side, the negative emotions that shows when he's down if he makes a mistake. Um, so I think that was the biggest change. I don't know who told him to change it or if he it was an internal thing, but you know him changing that the way he shows the negative when things aren't going right. Uh, you know, he, he now consistently shows a positive attitude, upbeat attitude throughout the, throughout the whole entire game, which it's good for everybody because your teammates all look towards you as the quarterback. Absolutely. So during that stretch, um, tech, especially the Texas A&M game, but even moving to the Tennessee game the following week, you guys get a big win. But I know there was a point in this season or a couple of games stretch where your wide receivers weren't exactly catching everything, had some huge drops for sure in the A&M game again. Um, and I know it shocked a lot of people. I'm sure it shocked you guys because you think about, you know, that wide receiver unit with Debo Samuel, Brian Edwards, Shai Smith, you know, the Josh Van, the freshman, a lot of sure-handed guys that look like we're struggling probably more mentally. It's not really a physical mistake. They've done it over and over. It's more of a mental thing in my opinion. Um, did you guys ever, you know, did, did your faith ever waver in those guys at all when they were going through those struggles? And just how did you guys uplift your wide receivers to reassure them, hey, like this is something you can do and let, let's go get after it? You know, we just told him, like, you know, you guys have the ability. Don't let your mental side of, the, um, of everything affect how you're performing. Because at the end of the day, you know, if Steph Curry's not hitting his shots, you know, they tell him to keep shooting. You know, so we're going to keep throwing these guys because we know they can make the catches. They're great athletes. They're some of the best receivers in the nation. And, you know, they're going through it. Maybe they're just going through a little sump. I don't know the reasoning on why they're dropping the balls except for just mental focus. But. We told them, hey, man, these balls are going to keep coming at you. So you got to get locked in because we expect you to make these catches, and we know you can make these catches. And, you know, they started – things changed for us in the second half of the season. You know, they started focusing a lot better. Our offense started playing a lot better. Um, so I think it was just a focus thing. Do you think the move, Brian McClendon, moving him down from the box to the field, do you th did that have a big impact on the offense as a whole? Uh, I would say so. I think it made a bigger impact because he was able to communicate what he was thinking, mm -hmm. game plan wise, the next series wise, uh, with everybody. Um, you know, he was when he was up in the box. You can't, you know, you can get on the phone call, but you can't talk to every single person. Uh, so he was able to start when he was down there, be able to talk to everybody about what he's thinking about and what they're giving us. And, and I think it was just better because he could interact with us instead of having to just be isolated up in the box and one person hear what he has to say. Right, absolutely. So, two games that I want to talk about specifically related to you, Michael, are the Akron game and the Virginia game. Can you okay. explain – because I, I really thought you should have gotten into both games. I mean, Akron 28-3 to with about five minutes left in the fourth quarter. That game is fully in hand. And then, unfortunately, the bowl game, 28 nothing lost. Virginia is fully in hand for all the wrong reasons. But – was there any type of reasoning as to why you didn't see the field in either one of those games? Because I, I just feel like being a senior for what you did, especially for the Missouri game, because, again, I think if you guys lose that game, I mean, who knows what happens, but making a bowl game, getting to that seven-win plateau you guys hit was would have been much, much, much tougher. And just for a momentum would have been really bad to drop that one. But 
I mean, was there any reason given to you as to why you didn't see the field against Akron or Virginia? Because I feel like there were perfect times or situations where you should have been inserted into the game. Did, did anyone say anything to you about that? Uh, no one really said anything to me. Um, and I didn't go searching for answers. Um, so I don't know the reasoning. I wish I had an answer. Um, but, you know, I guess I know he talk, Coach Marshall talked about the weather in the Akron game and how we weren't holding on to the ball. Um, so that played a factor, I think, in the Akron game. Virginia, I don't. You know, I don't really have a reasoning for that one. So, uh, you know, I wish I had an answer, but I don't. I, I have to imagine. So. I have to imagine just from the player perspective, that had to be extremely frustrating to kind of just because again, you're a humble guy. You're not some guy that's going to go banging down Will Muschamp's door, causing a scene on the sideline. Like you're a team guy, right? I mean, that's, and that's one of your best qualities. Yeah. But I have to imagine internally, that had to be extremely frustrating. Uh, I mean, it's frustrating. It's more frustrating because, you know, I know I have the ability and it's more frustrating just because it's the sport I love to play. And, you know, any opportunity that I would be able to get out and go play that game is an opportunity I would just cherish for the rest of my, my life. But, you know, I didn't get those opportunities. So it's frustrating because I just love playing the game, not because of whatever other reason, just because I love playing. And so any opportunity I can get, I would love to go out. And so... You know, again, I don't know the reasoning why, um, but maybe I, I don't know. Just go out there, perform, play well, and and just hope and keep keep being a good teammate. But I don't know. Right? No, yeah, I was just curious. I just figured I'd ask because I know a lot of uh, there were a lot of people uh, kind of thinking the same thing. I, you know, I was asking you just kind of why why is Michael not getting a chance to go in the game? But okay, so you your your football career at South Carolina is over. It's crazy. Obviously, it's been a heck of a journey. Um, I didn't really get to ask you this. Talk about your your relationship with Will Muschamp. Obviously, you get this defensive-minded head coach. And, you know, when he first got hired at South Carolina, we're seeing all these, you know, all these gifts and stuff of him losing his losing his cool at Florida. And he's known as this intense guy, <laughs> kind of crazy dude. And, uh, you know, I've heard yeah. he's sort of mellowed out and been a lot more calm. You can see it. He hasn't had really this sideline outburst like he had at Florida. I think he's kind of grown into being a head coach in college football. But – for you personally, what what was the relationship or is the relationship like with Will Muschamp and what does he mean to you? Uh, the relationship, it's, it's really good. He's a personable guy. He tried to get to know all the players. Um, you know, he, he took time to know what's going on in your life. And so, you know, it was cool. We, we could talk about most things. We could joke around about things. And you know, the relationship was really good uh, between us. And – you know, whenever I see him, like yesterday I was at, um, I was one of the athletes who spoke at the grand opening of the new operations facility, the um, the Long Family or whatever it's called, the yep, Long yep. Families Operations. Yep. So I went there, saw Coach Muschamp. We just joked around about, uh, said Jacob August and I went to the Hammond and Cardinal Newman high school basketball game because <laughs> we're down here training for per day. So there's not much for us to do. So we went to that game and, uh, and, you know, I talked to him. He's like, you know, I was, saw Jacob Walker. He's like, I'm going to call him and talk crap because Big Lewis is a Cardinal Newman guy. So, you know, <laughs> outside of football, we have a good relationship. We can joke about things. Yeah, so, in you know, in that regard, again, you know, you're you're pursuing a professional career. I know there's something, you know, you're getting ready for pro day, like you mentioned. I know Steve Spurrier was one of the guys that, that uh, I guess, reached out to you and encouraged you to, you know, go out there, throw it around at pro day. Um, but you're also, you know, planning, I guess, to go to law school, but we'll stick to the pro day stuff. 
Um, you know, what's been, what's the training been like these, you know, you obviously just finished up the season, but what does it look like for you all the training and um, you know, how excited are you, how, how excited are you to go out there and have an opportunity to prove, show off your skill set and prove that, you know, you belong at some level of football and deserve a shot at the next level. Yeah, no, I'm excited because, um, you know, I know I wouldn't get drafted. I know it'd have to be an unsigned or undrafted free agent um, and trying to get picked up by a team. But the whole process is exciting because right now I'm I'm training over at this Apex facility right over here on Huger Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple of days of the week, I'm going over to the operations facility with a new weight room and, and doing some weight training stuff. Like at the Apex, it's more personalized towards, uh, towards quarterbacking. So it's isolating different muscles. It's, and then I'm going to work on, and it's also speed training. And in the stadium, I'm going to do um, like physical strength, uh, more muscle building, and then doing yoga twice a week. And I'm also throwing, I'm going to try and throw it three to four times a week. I'm actually going to go over with uh, Perry Orson, throw with his QB1, what is it, QB1 athletics, QB1 whatever athletics. it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go over there and throw with him when I can. And then uh, throw with, you know, a couple of the guys, Jacob August throughout the week and and just get ready that way how is the new indoor facility because i know you guys i guess the players i think just got to move in today if you i know the staff moved in last week but from you know we've seen very limited uh pictures or videos i know justin king and his crew have probably got something brewing for this week or very soon for the operations um, facility yeah for the end the ken and cindy long yeah. the brand new operations facility. what's your take on i mean it's got to be uh it's got to be something pretty special i'd imagine huh Oh, it is. Uh, you know, I toured through it yesterday and another day, um, Friday and yesterday. And, you know, even the second time around, I'm just like, man, this is unreal. You know, they got a barber shop, they have a recording <laughs> studio, they, they have an arcade center, um, ping pong, pool table. The locker room's amazing. The weight room's just, goodness, I would live up there in the weight room. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, heck, even the team meeting room was like pretty cool to just look at. It's, it's massive. The chairs are off. Everything about everything is just like, goodness gracious, this is unreal. Like the the little details that went into this uh, into this building. I mean, I'm just every time I go in there, I'm astounded. And I've only been there twice, but I'm sure that's not going to change. Yeah, I'm trying to find a way to see if the uh, the Spurs Up show can sneak in there with the media or just some just some other day. <laughs> like, I just want to see it. I, I really just want to see the inside. Um, have you talked to – because I feel like you ought to talk to Coach Muschamp about it. I know there's a lot of murals inside of it uh, when you go in the team meeting rooms and the uh, position position group meeting rooms. Have you talked to Will Muschamp about getting a, a Michael Skarnecchia mural up anywhere in the facility? <laughs> I might have to pay for that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, I have not done that. <laughs> I think it would be well deserved. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> lastly, I Michael, appreciate that. Yeah. Lastly, Michael, before I let you go, I want to switch gears from football to your, uh, you know, life outside of football. Obviously, again, I, like I talked about, you're actually going to be pursuing law school. Um, if football doesn't work out for whatever reason, just talk about kind of what your plans are for life after football. Yeah. So uh, if football doesn't work out, I'm planning on going to law school. I'm thinking either between Columbia and uh, and Wake Forest. Okay. And so, gonna go there three years and just see how it goes. And uh, you know, I would love to work in the Carolinas, and that's the goal. So, um, you know, uh, don't know really. I'm still waiting. I'm probably gonna decide where I go to law school. Uh, you know, I can decide mm-hmm. now, and then depending on whatever happens with the NFL, I can defer a year 
and or however long. And so uh, I'm going to go and then probably late March, early March, I'm going to decide I'm going to like choose a law school and make an announcement about that. But it's going to probably be between South Carolina and Wake Forest. And then I'm going to use my finance background for law, um, maybe business law, but I'm open minded to whatever. Very nice. Very nice. Um, speaking to the, you know, your football career, would you be open to, is it kind of NFL or bust for you or would you be open to like a career in the CFL, the new AAF that I know Steve Spurrier is coaching in? Is that, is that something that you're kind of open to all levels or is it kind of NFL or bust for you? Um, I'd be open to it. Now CFL, probably not, but the, uh, the league that Coach Spurrier is in, I would definitely, uh, I mean, I would consider it. I talk to my family about that and just see what we would think. Um, but I'm not closed minded just, you know, I'm not, mm. if I don't make the NFL, it's football is over. I'm, I would consider going to, what is it? The AAFO? Yeah. It's, I think it's the AAF, the American uh, Alliance of American football. Yeah. So that's what I, I, I would consider it for sure. I, I imagine you definitely consider it pretty strongly if the opportunity to play under coach Spurrier again came up, right? I mean, that, that'd have to be pretty fun <laughs> to go back and play for him again. No doubt. And he's down in Florida. Right. Yeah. No, he's in Orlando. Yeah. I think that was the, the only way yeah. he would have taken the head coaching job they made <laughs> in Orlando. So sure enough, they got a team down there. So um, last question. Yeah. Wait, no, no, I've, no, I've, no, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. I was just saying I would definitely consider it. Yeah, for sure. So I, again, I know I've kept you long last question though, because it's very unique. Again, I've talked to Steven Garcia, Perry Orth, Connor Shaw, and they all echo the same thing, a unique fraternity, being a quarterback at South Carolina. And I don't think it matters whether you're a starter, whether you're the role that you played, obviously. It is a unique fraternity to, you know, not only be a college quarterback, an SEC quarterback, but a former South Carolina quarterback. And, again, you talked about those are guys you all communicate with. I know they were guys that all reached out to you during your career and were there if you ever needed anything. When you look back on your career, what does it mean to you to be in that unique fraternity, to not only be a South Carolina quarterback, to, but to be say, I was a quarterback under the legendary Steve Spurrier? Um, I think it's cool because you can – well, these guys, you know, they're going to be friends for life. But, you know, whenever we, we talk about old times or stories with Coach Spurrier or football stories, it's just going to be, uh, you know, great memories and great times to just laugh it up because I know – uh, Garcia and Perry and, and even Dylan, they have a lot of funny stories about Spurrier and, you know, they're just the Kiwi group. So um, being in that, that fraternity is it's definitely something cool because you're going to have those relationships for the rest of your life. Any good Spurrier or Muschamp stories that you want to that, – that you can share? Do you, do you have any, any good ones, any, any, like, really good ones? Any really good ones? Uh, I probably only have one that was, like, Pretty or any, funny with me. Or any that they won't get pissed off for you sharing on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll give one. It's it's more of a shot at me. Uh, one day we were out there, and uh, man, I think I soft tossed. I kind of like, uh, you know, I didn't want to beam it in there. It was like a drag route, and so I kind of like just put a little touch on the on the pass. And Coach Spurrier comes up to me and he's like. Like he's like, what are you, what are you throwing babies out there? <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah, cause that's exactly what I'm doing. I thought it was funny. So that was a running joke with all the QB users. Anytime I throw a ball, they're always like, oh, you're out there throwing babies. <laughs> so, and I can't give any other stories. Uh, a lot of that's in-house, but, oh, yeah. um, you know, I can't think of anything else that's like that funny. I mean, that wasn't that funny, but, uh, 
God, this is killing me. You know, when you get put on the spot and you can't think of a good story. No, no, I got no, no. I, I love it. No, I love that. I, I feel like every every story with a Steve Spurrier interaction is is golden. So we will definitely. Take oh yeah, that. he's it's, he's a funny guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a character. But Michael, really do appreciate you again taking the time, man. And uh, you know, obviously, wish you the best of luck with your pursuit of pro day, the NFL, and you know whatever else you decide to do after life. Again, I, I just definitely want to say that. I think I can speak for Gamecock Nation. We say we really do appreciate you sticking it out at South Carolina for obviously your contributions, not only on the field, but being such a humble guy and a great teammate, just a great representative of the university. So we really appreciate it. Yes, sir. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you having me on the show.